Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. So our next two episodes are going to be Psalm TV exclusives. Our first interview is with Jason Wise, who is the director of Psalm TV. If you don't know what Psalm TV is, it's a streaming service that covers food, wine, travel, the entire hospitality field. And they're also the team behind the Psalm movies. Well, Psalm TV released a new documentary last Friday on July 8th. It's titled Auction Lot 288, and it's about a bottle of champagne. This bottle was made by Pierre Jouet, and it is from year 1874, and it goes up for auction. So Jason tells us what it's like to make this documentary in a pandemic, no less, and we dig into some wine history. Don't worry, we don't give away any spoilers, but go over to Psalm TV and uh, start your membership. I think it's like $50 a year, and uh, check out this documentary, Lot 288. Cheers, y'all. Welcome to this Hi. rest week. Oh my God, it's an honor to be here. It's great. We are happy I love to have you. I, I love this podcast. It's, uh, do it's, you really? Uh, you know, it's one. I do, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Shakira Jones is uh, one of my favorite human beings in the world. You guys are on her pod. And yes. uh, yeah. ever since, I was like, how do I get on this podcast? And here we are. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Well, you yeah. know what? We've heard quite a bit, a bit about you, especially when we had the Sparklers cast on here. Uh-oh. Exactly. Yes. They talked yes. about yes. you. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> was it was it about my uh, amazing haircut, or was it about something else? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 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 a true honor. Yeah, it's uh, I, that's right. You did the whole Sparklers cast. That was hilarious. I remember that. Pod. Yeah, they they talked about the casting. <laughs> Uh, the casting process, how some thought they were judges and they ended up competing. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was a, it was an odd process making that show. You know, the whole COVID situation made things interesting in the way I'm we had sure. to sort of turn it around. But yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. Absolutely. And I don't yeah. believe anything that they said now about <laughs> you meeting you, Jason. Yeah, how how could that be true? There's right. no way that I am disorganized, or you know, no way considering no. Uh, my microphone didn't work. <laughs> well, can you, um, for the listeners who didn't hear that podcast, um, give a little bit of background about your connection with them? Sure, sure. Well, you know, so I I directed this movie some like uh, like ten years ago when I used to be beautiful. And, um, you know, it sort of was like this. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. It was a weird entry into the world of wine. And then, you know, Sparklers, this show, is oddly a very strange continuation of the first Sam movie. It was kind of like, how can I put... Because I think Sam is what it is 10 years on. But if you if you look at what worked for it, you had several people, Delyn Proctor and everybody who knew each other. You know, they were all friends. And Sparklers was my next attempt to try to put people who truly love each other and are friends in a space. And it was really a fun situation, but my connection, I mean, I've known Shakira for a very long time. Um, Her and I have, uh, I'm trying to think of when the first time we met, she will love this, but at the Psalm three premiere uh, in New York city, uh, she, myself, her and another person, uh, Sabato Zagaria, Master Smalley, were in the corner of a room and there was a candle and she leaned over to get a glass of wine and the candle set her hair on fire. I don't know if you guys ever heard this story. Yeah. She's um, told this story on the podcast. Oh, did she? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, uh-huh. so she put it out and we all looked around and we we're like, Hey, no one else saw that. Like, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> so Shakira and I have like this, uh, this, like, you know, her and I are, um, we always have a comedy of errors in the room. Her and I sort of mess up everything we can and everyone else, uh, doesn't notice. 
that it was our fault. I feel like Shakira and I are like kindred spirits in that manner. So I've known Shakira for a long time. I, I would say when it came to the cast of the Sparklers cast, who Shakira was supposed to be on, if it was not for COVID, she would have. She was on the East Coast. And so we ended up having to cast who could be in a bubble, who could be like in a space. And so Mary Mamed, who you had on the pod, and Matthew Kaner and Claire Copey and uh, God, who else was on that show? Um, and Megan Zoback. You know, these are these are all, and George Walker, these are all people who were a combination of rising stars who are changing the industry from every every way possible. You know, from Megan Zoback being like one of the most pioneering new Napa winemakers there is, to George being somebody who I think went from zero to 100 miles an hour of being somebody who was like, I, I want to be in the wine business to all of a sudden I am like guiding the wine business. I've never seen somebody rocket so quickly. And what I wanted to do with Sparklers was put this group of people who are all coming up together at the exact same time, who all love and respect each other in a room to compete, but yet hold each other up. And so Sparklers was that. And it's, you know, it's on Tom TV. It's a competition show that, you know, for your listeners who may not have seen the show, it's uh, a hell of a lot of fun. It really is. And so my, uh, my, my situation with them was just, I'm lucky as hell to work with them, but you guys know what it's like when there's kind of like this, this time when the, the boats are all rising at the same time. And, and those five people on that show are all sort of just watching each other become really important in the business for different reasons, but all the same reason kind of thing. Cause they love wine. You, you mentioned that you entered the wine industry in an odd way. Can you tell that story? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I went to film school and thought, you know, I was going to make nature documentaries and I was going to do uh, whatever the hell you think when you're young. And um, I sort of came upon people studying for this master sommelier exam. Now I, I was bartending when I made someone and to say I knew about wine would be hilarious compared to where we are now. And now that I know, I know nothing about wine, even though I'm around it all the time. I think um, I, I got into wine first and foremost to impress my, my girlfriend's father, who is now my father-in-law and that girlfriend is now my wife and mother of my children. But I thought he collects wine. How cool would it be if he liked me? And then second, uh, you know, a friend of mine was going through the master sommelier exam and his name is Brian McClintock. And, I sort of peeked in on him doing this exam and was blown away and looked at it more as like a, a bro-y sports film type of an idea, you know, than a wine film. And so I, I made that movie and followed this group of people who were studying together, you know, Delin Proctor and all of them. And so I ended up in this situation where I didn't mean to be in wine. And now here I am, you know, with Som TV and, and uh, uh, you know, probably drinking too much wine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's unconventional. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Cleveland. It's not, I would not say it's a place that wine is, uh, is you know, a central part of your life, uh, like Europe or like maybe if you grew up in New York or San Francisco or something. I'm not sure. I don't know at this point because now it's, it's so wonderful to see wine not be something or at least moving towards not being something where people have to say that. I'm from here, so I don't deserve to be part of this world or something. So now I find it to be... I think one of the most inclusive, wonderful, or at least getting, moving the right direction, at least towards that. Whereas when I grew up, it was Franzia and, you know, I thought Boone's Farm was wine. Um, and we all you know, did. Yeah, we all did. And, <laughs> you know, nothing, no knocks on Boone's Farm, you know, but <laughs> Strawberry no, it's Hill. Okay. You know. It's okay. 
it's okay. It's okay. But they're not sponsors, so it's okay. All right. You know, and I, I've, I've had some good moments at Boone's Farm. I'm happy to say good things about them if you need me to. So, anyways. It's interesting. Thanks for sharing that story because it seems like either you were from the crib and you started in the wine industry or you have like the three of us have different career paths and we gravitated towards wine. So it's really interesting to hear people's origin story in wine and that you started off as a filmmaker and you kind of like full circle. Sure. But yeah. doing wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to to think about. I think that's what makes wine great. Honestly, is when people come into it from different things and and make wine, make wine different. I think that wine itself is a slow process, right? But I also do think the perception of wine and the way people look at it, the way people use it, can be quick. And that's the interesting thing is like when I I think I walked into this world at the tail end of the very old way of looking at wine. And I think Psalm, the first movie, reflects that in some ways. Um, and in ways that I don't think are obvious. I mean, I think people would be like, all right, there's a lot of guys in that movie and stuff. But Psalm itself was not the wine industry. It was a representation of it. But I wasn't trying to make a wine film. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. And, you know, I wasn't the only one that made that film, you know, my my wife and, and others. But, but I do think that at that time, there was this people looked up you know, they always looked up and said, like, am I allowed in? You know, can I be a part of this? How do I be a part of this? And I think that now, I think people at least are looking different directions. Instead of, they're not looking down, they're looking different directions. And I really think that there is this complete 180 with acceptability to not knowing what you're talking about. And that being something that is, I think, invigorating and exciting. Um, I think the same... Yeah, okay. Because I think the same bullshit opinions exist <laughs> in wine. Those haven't gone away. But like, you know, where people are kind of like everybody, you know, there are still people who think they know what they're talking about. And there are still people who are afraid to show that they actually know what they talk about. And, and I think that every you talk about going full circle. When I started this, you know, Camus Special Select from Napa was like the best wine you could touch. And then I remember about five years into, the, you know, we made, we made some for four or five years. I remember into that, people would be like, I would never drink popular Napa wines. It became this like, oh my God, how would you do that? And now those same people who said that would give anything to drink those wines with some age on them if they could get their hands on them. And it's an interesting thing to like watch people's, they call it a palate. And I think it's more just like ego, you know, evolve and, and find greatness in wines and, and, I also find a lot of the people who were really, you know, a certain direction when they were younger have opened up and softened when they're older and they really want to teach others and they don't want the credit anymore. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really fun to watch the evolution. I guess is what I'm trying to say in wine. It's, it's really interesting. And I, I, every time I think it's over, it just gets more interesting. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you guys talking to all these people, I'm sure you see this too, but does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. Well, sort of, because I don't agree with one thing you said. I do believe people's palate evolves. And oh, I that's for sure. Okay. And I just mean they call it palate when they're really oh. talking about like their, um, I don't know, their, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, like I think following palate, a trend. Yeah, yeah, I think so. People yeah. do that. I agree yeah. with, I agree with that, but most definitely 
my palate is not the same as it was when I was in high school. And we're like, okay, just get a bottle where you need it. Yeah, anything sweet, anything like, <laughs> yeah. anything that like someone's oh. older brother could get you, <laughs> or like, <laughs> or that this this weird I... this weird liquor store would sell you because they don't, you know. I yeah. I think that I, I think that the two words, and I know you guys didn't even ask this question. I apologize, but like I think the two words, palate and terroir, are the most overused, misunderstood, and they have real meaning. They matter so much, mm-hmm. but they're used in ways to just sort of represent kind of catch-alls. And yeah, so that's kind of what I mean. Not so our last guest, Keith Beavers, he went on a tangent about natural wine. That's a yes. whole nother thing. So I'll throw that in that bucket too. I'm sure he did. You know, I have every anytime I have ever tried to talk shit on natural wine, I have had my ass handed to me by a wine that was stupendous, that was natural. And so I will say this that there is no one size fits all whatsoever. And I can also say that there are wines that people would think are these like industrial, huge, whatever wines that have knocked my socks off too. And I just think that the minute you start saying, I'm only going to do something this way, you are going to be proven wrong if you are have an open mind. So that's just the way I have seen it. But I don't know, you know. So Som TV released a new documentary this Friday. Um, tell us about the documentary and what made you decide to tell this story? Yeah, so it's a it's the story of the 1874 Perrier Jouet, and I, you know Chrissy's Auction House does not they, they auction a lot of wine, a lot of spirits, a lot of uh, but a lot of art. I think they're known for art more than anything else. They, they don't let people in to that process very often, and we sort of got a whiff of this bottle going up for auction, and we worked with Perrier Jouet to say how do we tell this story? Of course, we're in the middle of COVID. So what probably would have been three times as long of a film, we knew it had to be a condensed thing. We knew we had to figure out how to film it. We knew the auction would be under COVID. But the chance to tell a story of a bottle that was going up for auction that predates World War One, you know, is right after the Franco-Prussian War. And for Europe, this is like the seeds of really where we are today. And so why I wanted to tell it, I thought that we could basically put a lot on a bottle as a piece of art. And then also talk about commerce, because think about what this bottle's worth, whatever the hell anyone's going to pay for it. That's it. It's not, I mean, if you were to tell me this bottle's worth a hundred bucks, I would say, I'll give you a hundred bucks for that bottle. I mean, I think, but, but I think if you were to say to bike, you know, the average person, here's a bottle of wine that's really old and might not be good. They'd go, well, I'm not going to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on that. And so we really wanted to see the whole process of kind of following a really old bottle of wine, the history of Europe, because that's essentially what this is. It's just European history. And then and then the concept of why the hell would they sell it? And what's, what's it going to be worth? And so it's a tremendous kind of an opportunity for access that I just don't think anyone else has really been given. And I think the, you know, and then, you know, Shakira Jones, who narrates it beautifully, she's an insane champagne fan. And she's been to the house many times. And so I reached out to her and I was like, can you, would you be willing to do this voiceover? And I think she, I swear to you guys, I think she was drinking Perry Jouette when we asked her and she would like laughed her ass off. And so she ended up, you know, she was kind of one of these people who was able to just do the VO without having to do much work. And it was kind of, it was just one of these things that's exciting to be able to tell. I don't know if you're into history, but wine is pretty, wine's a pretty easy vessel towards that, I find. So 
long answer for an easy question, but that's that's what I would say. I have a question for all y'all. What is the oldest champagne that you've had? And like, because I'm thinking, like, what would this even taste like at this point? Well, I'll let them speak first. How? What's the oldest <laughs> champagne you've had? I've I've been lucky, so I, I've never had a vintage champagne, so I, have, I don't I don't know. I not yeah maybe 1980 I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's got some that's yeah. got some age on it. Mm-hmm. I've had vintage, but I can't say that it was quite as old as probably what Jason or Leslie has had. It's just been a vintage bottle mm-hmm. of Dom or Moe. And um, it was pretty damn good. I have okay. had more vintage red still and um, port than I've had yeah, vintage champagne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, God. Well, what 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 about you, Sarita? Have you had a, a lot of? You've never never had. I've had vintage. Champagne? I've had a lot of vintage Napa. Um, uh-huh. uh, white. Oh, we and need red. to fix that. <laughs> oh, we need to fix that. We need to get you some 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 good stuff. I I think um, you know I was lucky in, in the second sound movie we opened up a '69 Dom Ruminart, which is '69 mm. was a legendary year in wine as a mm. whole, and um, it's not the oldest champagne I've had. I've had. I've had some Heidsick going back to the fifties and I had, um, a Vouv, a Vouv Clicquot going back to geez, 48. Mm. But you know, when you, when you have a lot of these wines, they are, they are a different thing. They are not, they are, they are both champagne and not champagne. They're not what you think of. And a lot of these champagnes that are made that are the brutes and, and non-vintage are meant to be pretty fresh and they're meant to be, you know, acid forward and they're meant to be bright. And my wife would say that's her favorite stuff. She's not a big fan of the older stuff, which is what I love. I do. It's got this like oxidative, nutty, very, you know, yeah. ripe quality to it. And, and there's not much bubbles left. It, it kind of goes away quick. But the 1874, you know, we've speculated quite a bit because it's one of the rare situations that we filmed something and I didn't get to taste it. And so I've had to speculate. Um, I have had wines going back to the 1870s, not just fortified, but still, but like they haven't been, they have not been a sparkling wine. And so I have a very strong assumption it would be very sweet. Um, The sugar would be in balance because back then champagne was very sweet. It was like most wines, they had a lot of sugar in them. It was just the sort of the taste of the day. And and, um, I, I would bet that there'd be still a bunch of sugar. I bet there'd be no bubbles. It would probably taste a lot more like a sweet sherry um but with less alcohol i this i'm guessing based on things that i have had and and some opinions of people like you johnson who's in the film and that's taste insanity old stuff um but i would bet you that it would not if you were blinded on it you would not say it was champagne i would think you would probably say this is a madeira it's a it's a you know the alcohol wouldn't be there you know it would be very low alcohol especially over time but and um because they didn't make it with high alcohol and back then you know it was very cool champagne they had a pain in the ass ripening the fruit and that's why they pretty much made it made it bubbles but I, I think honestly if you were to really get into it it would be pretty pretty um sherry-ish i'm guessing but i think drinkable I, I i have to believe that they would not have put this up for auction if it wasn't some form of drinkable i guess you could drink anything that's liquid but <laughs> so i want to ask all y'all if y'all have this bottle of 1874 would you open it and how and when would you you open it all right so yes i absolutely would and here's my thing so like i'm a 
I'm a big sports fan, and I I would kill to drink a bottle of wine with LeBron James. It would be something I'd love to do. I'm from mm, Cleveland. He's okay. from Cleveland. I think this would be my chance. And uh, yeah, my answer would be I would try to figure out how to drink this bottle, or at least a glass of it, with LeBron James. So if I could lure him in, I would open it. If not, I probably wouldn't. So that would be my answer to you. Would you guys open okay. it? I wouldn't. You I wouldn't. Could, you I, would keep it. I would keep it because I would definitely. Because I look at wine more as a commodity, commodity in commerce, and I would sell it for the highest to the highest bidder too. Mm. It would definitely. Oh, so, oh okay. You, okay. you probably could. Okay. I guarantee, if you money. hold on to it, you could sell it for more. That's a good call. That's a really yeah. good call. What about you, Leslie? I would see if I could Corbin it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Get it recorked. Get it recorked. And, and yeah. then, yeah, like, and you know, because it's going to recork itself, so just taste a little mm-hmm. and and leave it corked mm. you know what i would do i would i would make an instagram post and i would say calling all chefs if i if i want to bring this bottle of wine to your restaurant and open it up and sell tickets and i want you to pair stuff with it and i want to be there right. as the host i just mm-hmm. want to host a big ass dinner party and we sell tickets at whatever restaurant i don't know wins whatever contest i have and then we just eat and taste it. I, I would bet you you could do that. I mean, it would be an expensive dinner, but I yeah, will say, yeah, people, people well, have the it, money I mean, but it's, it's once yeah. in a lifetime, you mm-hmm. know, for sure. Yeah. It, it, it's not like it's it's not a lot. Yeah, yeah. Of bottles that they were mm-hmm. selling off. It's just this single bottle, so mm-hmm. it's yeah. never going to. It's uh, what is what is that new commodity that they are selling now? The um, the digital commodity where like NFTs or yes, it's an NFT. It's a it's a it's a NFT essentially because you're not. This is never going to be replicated. No, and I I, I'm I believe it's their last bottle. So yeah, I think yeah. You know, one of the big questions we had is why the hell would they sell it? I mean, Mm. you know, it ended up selling for in wine terms a tremendous amount of money. I won't you know no spoilers, Mm. but right. I don't think it's sold for enough to make it worth it. If you're asking me, I mean, if you're, if this is your flagship bottle of wine at your place, it's like, but also too, you know, I mean, they're, I think they were thinking it's doing nothing, just sitting down there. And, and that previous bottle broke Christie's record. And then some other champagne was auctioned, I don't know, 25, 40 years ago or something that broke that record. And I think that they had a chip on their shoulder this whole time thinking, mm-hmm. wait, we want that thing back we want that mm. you know that that yeah. championship t- championship belt back <laughs> kind of thing and i i think that's i think that's some motivation for why they put it up for auction it's um it's an interesting you know an interesting process to say the yeah. least yeah well i think what's really interesting and you you brought up so many great points jason about if anybody was purchasing it now right and they opened it it definitely would not be the composition of current day champagne um and it's it's curious to see because a a lot of the experts that you guys interviewed talk about how champagne is a commodity to to glennis's point like it's art as well as being a a beverage that ages so much better than other ones like i had a a 1975 Riesling. And I was like, hmm, this was interesting. Cause you know, I thought like with the high acid 
But I was like, yeah, they could have, they could have let this one go. But with champagne, like now, when you think of modern day terms, you think that it's, it's going to last for a long, a long time because of that. So, yeah, for sure. There, yeah, there's no question. Yeah. Jason, to another one of your points that you made that I thought was very interesting when you said it's not what you would think champagne, well, it's not what how champagne tastes now for the vibrancy, the the mousse, the fruit, you know, versus um, having aged for a while. And, and when you said about the sweetness, what came to mind for me from a historic standpoint is the fact that the average consumer or person who lived in the late eight, the early 18th century, excuse me, 18th century, 19th century. Sugar was definitely a commodity. Sugar oh, was huge. The elite. You could, and, you could be more right. This is a great and, topic. It's like so true. <laughs> and the elite really only had access to things that were sweet or needed sugar added to be made. Now, if that's some you guys, do you guys want to hear? <laughs> Sweet you want to hear a, I thought that was do, do you want to hear a bonkers thing based on what she's saying? So, when Napoleon went to war mm -hmm. in the Napoleonic Wars, which was part of a greater world war, I'm sure I'm sure you know exactly. this story. He they couldn't get sugar. So, obviously, mm -hmm. if you know the the really 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 horrible and difficult history with Haiti, you know they produced so much so much sugar there. There's an mm -hmm. incredible story that during the Napoleonic Wars. They couldn't get sugar and they were fighting a land war in Europe with Napoleon and the French, the French aristocracy wanted to stop backing Napoleon because they could not get sugar. And the yeah. whole concept of sugar beets, which the two places like modern sugar, or at least prior to like stevia and things like that, like came from was sugar cane, which all came from the Caribbean exactly. and sugar beets, which was a recent idea. So the French basically pioneered sugar beets to create sugar for the French. And it, it funded the Napoleonic Wars. I mean, and honestly, like, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of very, very, very tough history in the Caribbean and especially Haiti right. tied into all this. But but it's a you couldn't be more right on the fact that sugar was, I mean, we, I would call it like oil in its day in a weird exactly. way. Exactly. I mean, yeah. It's, it's tremendously true. The first, the, the, as they said, the um, child queen, Queen Elizabeth, the first, first Queen Elizabeth, mm -hmm. he started writing because it was introduced to her. So, you know, it was like a, a, a phenomenon. What is this sweetness? And they said she would just gorge on sugar. Mm -hmm. That's an issue. I, I don't well, know. Well, but I'm yeah, sure. but that's, but there's not, but you're not wrong in that, that whole like, from the late 1700s to the late 1800s, wines were insanely sweet. And that was an element of decadence. Like this was a luxury. Mm -hmm. This was something that, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that, you know, we didn't get into in the doc, but we should have, we should have had you as a consultant on this. This yeah, would have yeah. been a, a good topic. That's the but, next one. Yeah, Jason, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big history buff, especially on. Oh, I love this. I mean, we, don't even give me I have wanted to do a history of rum for the, my entire, like, since we made, since I made some and people went, people, you know, let me just, I'm going to take one tangent here. Everybody was like, I remember some, some was very successful. Started my career. It's a great, I'm, I'm very happy it was made, but there's a lot of people who were like, it's not a wine film. It's only guys. It's this certain thing. And I was kind of like, I, I didn't 
know any of that stuff. I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. I didn't even know if anyone would watch this movie. So when it happened, dealing with like the aftermath of Sam and people going, well, here's what it is. Here's the response. I mean, like, Lynn and I still laugh about like, kind of like how it was perceived and all of us like just being idiots, making a movie and not knowing what we were doing. But the minute I had a chance to go, if I was to do one from the beginning to the end, that I actually could be like, whatever I want to make, rum was it. And I was like, how do you do rum? I dug in, I started getting into it. And it is both from a standpoint of wealth and tragedy, one of the hardest I just got bogged down. You know, you don't know how are you going to do it? First of all, it's also like you start looking at, you know, I know that this word is thrown around a lot, but you start looking at equity and who gets to tell stories. And I started like caving into this thing. And it's like, do I deserve to tell a story of rum? I don't know how to do this. It is a very complicated thing. But when we talk about sugar, this is sorry, as a tangent, we're totally off topic. We talk about sugar and you talk about rum and you talk about American history and the Caribbean and just European ties and just, it is, could not be more important and interesting. So at some point, you know, we got to do a rum film. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it has that's to my be, that's my tangent. I mean, it has to be a multi-part just, series, and you can't avoid the discussion of slavery no when you talk about. There is no. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't even think. I don't even think it's. It's not something you can't avoid. It's something that literally has to be the narrative. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. it has to be, and there's no. Yes. And there's no like you don't. There's no reason to tiptoe around that because you do not have rum without slavery, without molasses, without yes. the triangle of trade, and without the South and. Right. You literally, it's, it's, it's not, you don't have to hide your eyes behind that because it just is. That'd be like talking about World War II without the Nazis. I mean, you just cannot do it. It's not possible. <laughs> it's like, exactly. So, exactly. Exactly. So anyways, yeah. I mean, yeah. it just is what it is. But regardless, we are, we're so off topic. Serena's going to kill us. I mean, she's, she's looking at me. You guys knows. were fine. You guys are okay. flowing beautifully. I, yeah. I just, I just have one question for sure. Jason. I'm sorry. Um, how do you pick your topics? You know, that's a that's yeah that's a good question. It's it's a it can be easy or tough to answer. I'll try the easy one first, and you guys can call bullshit on me. Um, the easy answer is I think uh, I think it comes with access, and so you know in some cases can we do it or do we think we're going to be able to? And as time has gone on, we have to you know obviously anybody with uh, something like we have you have to play chess with money, and even when you do that, it's still hard. Um, but there are also projects. Like, for instance, this rum one we're talking about, like I would if I could find the right story and figure out the right way to tell it, I would find a way to make it. It would be straight up. But that that one has to be right place, right time. There are other ones like this period you one where that auction was happening. Cover it or don't, you know, and we had access to it. So in a lot of cases, um, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, so, uh, tomorrow morning we leave to go up to Napa. Um, you're going to have to, you're going to have to really cut this out for time, but we go up to Napa to shoot a film called Ghosts of Spring Mountain. And we've not announced the cast list. I don't know when you're going to put this up, but you might have the scoop on it. So Shakira Jones, Claire Copey, and Megan Zoback are sitting down with a turn of the century Ouija board in two of the oldest wineries in California that are abandoned. And I'm telling you, these look right out of a Tim Burton film. They're astoundingly gorgeous. They have lots of tragic things in their past. And they've been abandoned since prohibition in some case or another. And uh, we are going to, uh, for lack of a better term, speak with uh, whatever is haunting them. But there's more to it. You know, the concept of a ghost, um, one of the properties we were supposed to film at, and we did, burned down while we were filming in the glass fire. And it's a huge loss to history. And so that particular story, 
we were filming it as seems like the the spirits didn't want you to film it <laughs> yeah well i hope that's not the reason i think um you know it this particular story is a really fascinating one where it's um a lot of tragedy but also ghosts come in a lot of forms and fire is a tremendous haunter of the valley it it, it burned down megan zobeck's burgess wine cellars and she's the winemaker during the same fire and it's an incredible incredible story about you know, we talk about American history, how it kind of, you can't help, but everything kind of bleeds in. This is one of those things. And the Ouija boards are a fun gimmick and it's hopefully something scary happens, but it's really an amazing historical documentary and ghost spring mountains is coming. And we have uh, another film. I'm not plugging these. I'm telling you to try to explain why I picked these stories. The, uh, we have another film called cup of salvation coming that we filmed all over the middle East. And, um, we filmed, uh, we filmed in a country I'm, I'm technically not allowed to tell you guys, but I can tell you we have no diplomatic relations with them, and they have not made wine since they had a revolution in 79. Really? Um, yeah, I won't name the country because I'm not allowed, but we're the first to film in that country, and they had hundreds of wineries prior to this revolution they had in 79. And so we are making the first – well, anyway, something's happening in this movie that is getting has already got me in a lot of trouble and will get me in more. And in a lot of cases, these films that we're doing – are trying very hard to put wine in a context that it doesn't fit a genre. It doesn't fit a, you know, for me, I think Ghost of Spring Mountain is going to be hopefully pretty, pretty spooky, pretty scary, but also a kind of like way to make people see the history of wine and the importance of wine in a new light. It's can, it can be in a ghost story. It can also be in this geopolitical story. That's really important with the stuff going on in Russia. And, and I, and I really think that's the thing with wine that we try to choose how do we make this thing that sits, you know, I mean, wine, wine's a bottle that just sort of sits there. It doesn't do much, but yet it affects everything. And if I want to talk about Christianity or Judaism or war or two people falling in love or anything, you can use this at the center of the table every time. So when I try to pick the projects, I try desperately to, to find a way to have this incredible beverage at the center of the story, but yet it's never about wine. It never is because wine doesn't even want to be about wine. I mean, wine is trying to get you laid. <laughs> wine is trying to wine is trying to make you have fun. It's trying to make you have a good conversation. And so, when you think about wine, it's like it's doing everything it can for you. And so, my hope is that I'm, you know, I'm kind of trying to pay it back. That wine's involved in everything, tragedy, good stuff, all of it combined. So, access is where it starts, I suppose. Two questions in a very quick, short answers. One sure. is you pick one bottle up. So there's an, another bottle behind you. I was just wondering oh, if bottle. those two had any significance yeah. or are they just shelf holders. So this is the this is that 186 or the 1969 uh Art bottle from Psalm 2 from Into the Bottle. That Frederick Paniotis, though, cellar master, he sabers it in the film, if you ever saw into the bottle. And then I keep this because what we wanted to make into the bottle, I wanted to make a sequel to Psalm, which was about actually about wine. And I asked all these winemakers, you know, we open up your oldest, most prized vintage. And a lot of them looked at me like, wow, you know, wow, I don't know. And then they said yes to this bottle. And every winery around the world then said yes, because they're like, well, if Frederick did it, I'll do it. So like everybody from Domain the Romani Conti to Trimbach to the great wineries around the around Europe and America, you know, Mondavi's first vintage. This was the Judas goat, as they say. Um, and then this other bottle, this is a wild bottle here. So this is. This is it. Well, this was imported to the United States in 1824. So I'm not sure which the vintage for this Madeira was, 
Um, it's from an episode of Drink a Bottle on Som TV with the Gallette family, who are very old and they own Quote of All. Um, but it was recorked in 1919. You know what the significance of that is? To make it legal for prohibition. They had to recork this bottle in order to make it legal. So they did it April 16th, 1919, right as the temperance movement was about to pass. They were very smart. It's totally a sham. I mean, they did recork it, but they recorked all their bottles so that they could, you know, maintain it's a, it's a loophole in the law. So it was decanted in 1883 or 1885. It says imported 1824. It's probably from the 1700s. And it's one of the best wines I ever had in my life. And so I have this bottle, which is, you know, hand blown glass, beautiful, insane bottle here. A lot of American history. You want to, Madeira has its own problems too. If we want to talk about stuff like rum, but Wow. So that's the two bottles that are back behind me. Um, oh, nice! I uh, we can. I've got I've got fifty, sixty bottles in the house that have crazy stories. But these two are ones that really um, mattered to me personally. You know, that would that's interesting because I could ask you a million questions about how that label is, but we won't. And then the fun, the other fun question I'm I'm going to ask. So on the set for this um, new. Um, the ghost winery one goes to spring mountain no 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 i guess it's not new the one that's getting ready to appear the about the bottle from perry joey oh so how yeah much, how much perry joey did you get to drink because i'm over here celebrating <laughs> <laughs> i i listen i would be insanely shocked if i did not ask them to send you a bottle if they wouldn't so let me see what i can do on the perry i want joey the unicorn product. look at me see that's that's why you can't offer them none. i want the perry joey rose that's the unicorn yeah, the rosé is really good. Let me see what I can do. I will talk well, to you. You can send me any bottle. There. I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> happy, yes, but I'll be real. No, 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 no. I will be happy. Just but don't I'm just send like, the empties, but we're good. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> you know, I think um, they are, the, the people there are insanely nice and very generous. And they also, um, they have a, they have this really interesting thing that, that was founded by a botanist and they have had artists associated with them forever. So you have like the flowers on the bottle of their. The of, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. And so uh-huh. they, they have this very, uh, they're very playful and I can guarantee not, they would be, I'm sure, I'm sure uh-huh. excited to give you, to give, let you guys taste their great stuff. So I will see what I can pull off. Um, All right. One of the only places in life I have pull. <laughs> well, there you, well, that's a good place to have pull. Let me tell you. That's true. That's true. Okay. So a few closeout questions. Um, Actually, everybody can answer. Um, But um, here we go. And it's all about TV. Okay. I'm ready. Last movie you saw in the theaters. I just saw uh, Thor uh, Love and Thunder with my two daughters. Literally just, I just saw it. Very nice. Last night, the night before. There's not that many out. I saw Top Gun right before that. That's two movies. Sorry. Okay. Okay. What do you guys? What do you guys have? Um, I'm ashamed to say, but it might be Black Panther. I was going to say that's that was the last, last movie you saw in the too. theater. Well, yeah, because um, I don't know. I stopped going to theaters a long time ago when I could have the movie in my living room. Yeah, so no, I understand. That. I mean, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't been motivated to go back to the theater quite yet with Viola Davis's new movie. Um, yeah, about the yeah. The, the Warriors, I, I might be back in the theater for that. I saw a trailer for it. It's pretty epic. I yeah. Mean, it's pretty. I was, I, I was yeah. like, holy smokes. This yeah. movie looks. Yeah. First, my first thought was this movie I, looks expensive. <laughs> huh. 
Huh. Well, you know, it's tough. It's tough because I'm like, that's the you first know too thing much. I think. Yeah. I turned to my wife and I'm like, what, they spent? what do you think they spent on this? You know, it's like, uh, but it looks good. I mean, first yeah. of all, I would, I would watch her eat sushi. So like, I'm in, <laughs> I mean, she's amazing. So I'm, I am completely in. Plus, you know, I hope that that story gets a great big audience because it deserves one massively. So what about you two, Leslie, Glennis? I can't even remember the last time uh, I went to the movies. You three I'm need to get into the theater. Right you guys, Top Gun Maverick is great. It really is. You should okay. go see it. It's great. It is exactly the better, the less you know, the better, but it's it's exactly what you want. Go to okay. a theater that has a bar, get some, get, get a cocktail or two or one of those like country club pours or rosé or something. And just sit in there. And I'm telling you right now, just sit back. And this is and from just, a producer's eyes, so I'm 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 taking right, this. Right. Yeah. Oh, I just think it's like totally fun. I think it's like okay. a totally fun movie. Okay. I, mean, I had to look up. Mine was definitely um, Black Panther, and I couldn't remember whether the movie It came out before oh. before mm-hmm. or that because my niece wanted to see It, and she had me in that movie. And I was like, "What the hell am I watching?" Wait, Clown, I'm lying. Out of a sewer. I'm lying. My last movie was probably Queen and Slim. That came out after, right? That came out after, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Queen and Slim is great. I, yeah, uh, I was I, completely I, I horrified. Yeah. I saw yeah, a yeah. screener. I saw yeah. a screener of it at home, and because mm. uh, my wife's in the producers guild, so I got lucky. But uh, I really liked yeah. it. He is amazing. Yeah. I, 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 I will turn this into a movie podcast in two seconds. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to do this. Listen, don't don't tempt us. Okay. Um, okay. Kalia, what is, is, what is your no favorite doubt. sitcom of all time? Yeah, just give me one. Oh man, someone answer first because I I I, I thought hard <laughs> about how to how to answer this question, which is really complicated. So many for different I reasons. I have so many for different reasons. Oh God, sitcom of all kind. Oh God, I have so many for this. <laughs> well, my favorite, this is this is not my favorite of all times, but the first one that came to mind was Veep. Oh, with, sure. Um, with Julia um, Louis Dreyfus. Yeah. Where, you know, she just said stuff that you wish you could just say in everyday yeah, life and not. For sure. Yeah. Just, yeah. But it's not yeah. my all time favorite, but it is one of the ones where you just sit there with your mouth open the whole time, yeah. chuckling inappropriately. <laughs> so for that, if we go with that as the premise, it would have to be all in the family because that damn Archie Bunker, the stuff he says, you're going old school though. Oh, because <laughs> I am old school. So, <laughs> so you're talking Archie Bunker back in the day, the Jeffersons, which is yes. a spinoff of Archie Bunker. Mm-hmm. Um Oh my gosh, Finn, you got um they were in the Golden Girls, Dope Chicks was holding. Oh yeah, Golden Girls is classic. So Golden Golden Girls Girls is I have three, I have three written in front of me. Golden Girls is one of them. So yeah, yeah. You know, the the writing for some of the sitcoms back in the day, and I'm talking, you know, like with the 70s, 80s, those sitcoms, there's no sitcoms that can match them or Mm -hmm. hold a candle to them. And I'm just I uh, Oh, what's that? Mom? What? What's that? What's my mama? Oh, all those old sitcoms, <laughs> yeah. Jeffersons, um, Good Times. Oh goodness, I could go on for days. So there's quite a few old school. Oh, you know what? One good one. <laughs> Jason one laughing at me is Abbott Elementary. Oh yeah, that is yeah. pee in your pants. Is that new? Is new. new one? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
I, I, yeah, my answer would be um, The Office um, or either The Office or either Shit's Creek. They're kind of like neck and neck for me. I like the dry style of comedy and Abbott Elementary fits in that bucket, too. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's tough for me. I mean, let's hear well, OK, so I have. All right. So I have I have Golden Girls because, first of all, this is like a weird show that I found myself. There was no age. I don't remember finding it funny. I still find it funny. I don't know how exactly. it works. It is like, like doesn't make sense how this show is so timeless. Mm-hmm, and exactly. obviously, if you know the secret sauce, it's like tremendously incredible actresses who are really good. And that's good writers right. and whatever else. Okay. So when I was 10, a show called, when I was 10, there was a show that came out and I became obsessed with it. I was not alone. All right. And you guys are going to laugh at me, but I would put Fresh Prince Bel-Air on my top three sure. list of all time. Yes, uh, came out in 90, I was 10 years old. You have to understand, when you remember like what came out when you were that age, yes. it sticks with you forever. I yes. mean, Seinfeld was funny and all these things. And like, I love The Office and all these things. But Fresh Prince was one of these shows that like I never missed an episode. And no one mm-hmm. I knew missed an episode. Yeah, you were you know, only was ten. Like, you're such a baby. Well, <laughs> I guess, but I mean, I'm 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 42 right now, so I wasn't that. It came out. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're the same age. <laughs> that's that's funny. Did you, Jason? Did you read his autobiography? No, not yet. No. Okay, no. if you if it, just go to the chapter of his audition about that. Did you read? Oh, it? Oh, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Oh. My for goodness. that for that for that show no i would love yeah. that. oh quincy jones yeah is a beast you got yeah. to just read that chapter and you would your mouth will just be hanging open like this is incredible well the, he yep. actually he also tells that story on the fresh prince documentary that came out oh he does yeah which i haven't seen which i haven't seen I oh think that, uh, yeah that's a good one okay yeah. I will it's heavy it's heavy it. but it's good I'm sure is it, it is. Quincy's I mean, documentary or is it about is the, it's Quincy Fresh Prince's Prince? documentary? It's Prince, a, okay. Yeah, documentary about Fresh Prince. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was, really, in, I was uh, in tears by the end. It was tough. That show was, uh, that show was, uh, that show was like one of the ones that I found to be like mine. You know, mm, when, when you get yeah. to that age and you're like, this is my show. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, like for my parents, it'd be like MASH or Cheers or something like that. But like for okay. me, it was Fresh Prince. I mean, that was yeah. like my show. And, you. you know, growing I mean, it was like, it couldn't have been farther from me growing up with like a mom who was a teacher in Cleveland, you know, but like, at the same time, it was like this show that I loved. It was great. The other one that I have on this list is, is one that you might laugh at first, because it's probably the first real sitcom of all time. But I made a film called Wait for Your Laugh about Rose Marie, who was an actress. And she was in this show. And she was the first woman on television who didn't play a mother a maid, a sister, a daughter. She was a worker in a writer's room and it was a Dick Van Dyke show. And I had never really watched oh, the show. Yeah, so as soon as I yes. made, uh-huh. I made this show and she was in the Dick Van Dyke show and I watched every episode while I was making this documentary about her life. And honestly, you cannot see a show that exists today from Frasier to The mm-hmm. Office to Parks and Rec to anything that does not have the footprint of this particular yeah. timing of comedy you know, and uh, it was really ahead of its time, and most of it ages incredibly well. You know, it was pretty so, progressive. So, which one aged the other? Because I Love Lucy sound it can follow that footprint that you just absolutely. Well, I Love Lucy came after <laughs> Dick Van Dyke, but not by did much. It? No, did it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, it did. did. That's right. It did. That's right. Yeah, that's Dick right. Van Dyke is 
but we're talking we're talking um God, you know, I need to look that up and make sure because it was definitely Desi Lu Studios. <laughs> I could be wrong. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But regardless, regardless, I'm still taking Dick Van Dyke because oh, I think okay. I love Lucy. I think I love Lucy. I didn't have the same connection to it. And then it's like, but I, I think that when you look at, when you look at like the Dick Van Dyke show and it's imprint of this, I think it's also really important for this character that I deeply love the person who played to have been like out there and shown you know, it's tough to say this, but like women could be writers, women could be like regular professions. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will cite her, you know, the person who started Friends and um, will will cite her character as the reason they're like, I want to be this person. So, um, but those are my, those are my three. They sort of run the swath. I mean, I think that Van Golden Girls is pretty unassailable though. I don't know whoever said that one. That's a tough one to top. That's a good one. So. Well, All right. What next else you question. got? What, okay. So next one is your favorite reality show or a docu series. Ooh. Does it have to be continuing or could it have uh, gone one season? Oh no, it could have gone one season. I mean, here's a tough one. I mean, we just lost uh, a James Beard Award uh, to Top Chef for Sparklers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But man, Sp- Top Chef's pretty damn good. It's it's really hard to. Uh, you know, I, I I can't I can't be mad at you, Top Chef. Um, I mean, it's pretty high up on my list. I mean, I, would you consider Anthony Bourdain's original show? Oh, would absolutely. Would you consider that a reality show? Then that's sure. what I'm taking. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking that because I think it's uh, nothing has been more influential in my life or career for what I do than than that particular show. You know, it would be it would be that. You know. Okay. I, I think I'll probably come up with more and then I'll have to, you know, you'll have to cut that. <laughs> but <laughs> Leslie, what about you? Oh man, there's, there's the catalog is long. Um, I think my first, first reality show, and I don't think they realized it was a reality show was um, the lifestyles of the rich, the and rich famous. and famous. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> Yes. Hell yes. I used to watch that yes. when I was homesick from school, or at least yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that interesting. A, that, was a, mm-hmm. that was a fun show. I was getting ready to ask you all what was the question again. Thank you, Leslie, for bringing it back around because I was uh-huh. looking up what the oldest show. They're a year apart, Jason. Dick Van Dyke and a Lucy show. Was They're I wrong, Lucy apart. first? Was Lucy first? No, no. Yes, no, you no. Dick Van Dyke 61, October. And um, the Lucy show, it I didn't get into the weeds, but it was sixty-two. So I don't know how oh, far. Okay, all right, so, all right. They're very well, close. I, I live another day. <laughs> I think. Oh gosh, reality TV. So, Leslie, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, Rich, um, the lifestyles of richest famous with Robin Leach. With Robin Leach, I know the character. Yes, love Robin Leach. Um, oh, yeah. So let's fast forward. So Rick Steve has kind of taken on the. No, are you going to take Rick Steve? No, that's no, I'm not over one. I'm just saying the travel aspect of the show because that's for me why I watch the um, lifestyles of rich and famous because I'm a big traveler and I love to travel. So to to go into my favorite today, I watched two reality TV shows because I love three. Actually, it's four because it's Puerto Rico. Um, because they travel all the time. They was Survivor was number one because I knew 
one of the first black females that was on Survivor. So that's how I really started watching it. Um, Ramona was a, is a sorority sister of mine who plays that Howard. But then we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, and um, Bachelor when they go on the island because I find some great hotels. I was like, oh, oh let me see if I can find that. Stay there. So those are my favorite. My, my wife loves the show so much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll st- I'll take no reservations. Sabrina, <laughs> what about you? So, um, probably the first reality show I fell in love with was probably The Real World. Yes, um, The Real World, and then um, I think right now my favorite one uh, is probably oh Stanley Tucci's um, Finding Italy. It's great. Search, searching Italy, one, one of the two. Oh, but uh, oh, I'm in love. Yeah. I'm in love with his mm-hmm. life. I mean. What network yeah. is they? Or Texas CNN. 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 Mm, it's mm-hmm. absolutely okay. stunning. It's yeah. so well Great. done. It, it just really makes you want to really eat. It makes you want to yeah. be everywhere he and is. And it's travel He's, related. It is. I think Glennis, you would love that show. You uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, oh, my last one is my most recent one is probably legendary. It's about the ballroom culture. Um, oh, it's a yeah. dance sort of oh. fashion competition oh. show on HBO. But that, yeah, that's oh, interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really cool show. I do yeah. watch those too. That that you now that you bring those up, um, mm-hmm. the 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 fashion show ones. I know they just slip my yeah. mind. All of them, yeah. the fashion show. Yeah, ones. it's a lot it's of them. Sewing, a, about sewing about sewing. Yeah, Project One Way. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> my my wife loves that show too. Yeah, I yeah. love Christian. Yeah, I love, I love, <laughs> you know, from beginning with Heidi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot the gentleman's name. That's so Tim cool. Gunn. Oh, Tim, Tim Gunn. Gunn. Yes. Yep. Yes. Oh man, Make it's not it the work. same without him. I know. No. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's the, now Heidi and Tim is on another um, reality. Yeah, finding the best, um, the biggest fashion brand, and you know I'll never commit any of these names to, <laughs> but love that. Yeah. Oh man, Jason, this was so bomb. Thank you for joining you guys, us today. You guys are great. This is wonderful. <laughs> I, I I don't want this to end, but then you'd have more to cut out. So I don't want to <laughs> She can make it well, <laughs> Sabrina. What you can do is do a two-part series of this. That's absolutely part. true. That's right. Yes. yes. Yeah, Everybody wants true. to hear us talk about sitcoms. That is what they sitcom- for sure. Yeah. Sitcoms and all your wine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I can't even mi- imagine. Being on the set and about to open for 18 about page. I like, okay, y'all take her to the left for a second or give her a value. She needs to calm down. I'm telling you, I would have been off the chain. And I want to get, um, I have a card from one of the marketing people from um, the Perrier Joey slash GH Mom house that Sarita, I know I've been meaning to give get oh, back okay. to you with that information. It's because sure. of confirmed card you know you uh, I, if i don't take a picture of a business card i can never find a business yeah. card no, i get that <laughs> i totally get that so, yeah, oh that was, jason yeah. before you go tell everybody where they can watch the film and where they can follow you some tv sure yes. yeah some tv.com it's 50 bucks 49.99 for an entire year and there's got 500 hours of original content it's uh, much 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 more growing yeah good stuff i mean uh Awesome. I, I would say I would say go there, please. <laughs> so is is it Sam TV on all social media networks 
or it's uh one well, on on uh instagram it's some tv underscore streaming on twitter it's at some tv you know working through all that stuff as soon as we announced it people grabbed everything but um but yeah no it, it it is what it is and so uh but you can find it everywhere and there's apps on every device just like netflix or anything like that you just download the app and then yeah. you can stream it on your ipad apple tv thank you jason thank, thank you for your time appreciate it oh my, my yeah. pleasure thank you yeah thank you Thanks for joining us, Royal Speed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Buy Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Sweet podcast account at Swirl Sweet. The Swirl Sweet is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vime Up Media.